my uh, proctologist is also a clown. I don't know. I was, I was, trying, to, I was trying to make a connection there. Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are Attempting Parenting in Japan. Welcome to episode 34. Today we'll be talking about baby care in the summertime, as that is upon us now. But first, we'll talk about a few updates. So, Mark, how about good old Coda? Coda is now three months old, or exactly 14 weeks old, uh, as of yesterday. And he's doing pretty good. It occurred to me, it doesn't happen much when the the month birthday and the week birthday line up exactly. I looked into it because I was really curious, like, how often does this happen? And for Coda, the answer is once a year. This isn't going to happen again until next summer when he turns uh, 17th month and his 74th week. But I, I also looked it up for Nico and he's getting two this year oh yeah yeah he had his uh his first one was a month after he was born so his four week and his one month and then the next one happens in november when he's nine months and 39 weeks <laughs> yeah, that's something that i thought was interesting about your son being born on the last day of the month and he was born in a month with 31 days it mm. means that his like you know one month old two month old three month old progression like the days that you use to mark those are rarely the 31st because uh, you right. only have, you know, what is it, five or six months of the year that have 31 days. So yeah. like on February 28th, he'll be 11 months, right? Which um, is right. strange. It's like always a different date. Yeah, it is a little weird to think about. But of course, like it's really the same for every kid because my kid was born on the 10th, but then there's a different number of days between February 10th and March 10th than between March 10th and April 10th. But his actual day doesn't change yeah. if you're counting months. Like I have yeah. to count the 30th sometimes. This puts me in mind of a controversial Barbie back in the, the 90s, I think, <laughs> that when you pushed a button on the Barbie, it would say, math is hard, let's go shopping. And <laughs> that phrase springs to my mind every few months. I'm surprised that's not in Japan now. A <laughs> yeah. new product. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, um, he had his uh, three-month hip checkup yesterday as well. Hmm. And I thought that if it was kind of weird. We uh, we had to pick a clinic that was in town, like in our city limits. We mm -hmm. usually go to the hospital that's in the other city next door, and that's where he was born. And it's a nice hospital. All the nurses are really nice. Doctors are nice. I really like it. But we had to pick something that was in town, and they're all just really old. Like you go into these places, it's you have to take your shoes off to go inside and there's nobody there. But like, you know, everybody's above 70, mm -hmm. but it's also a pediatric office. Mm -hmm. But that's just how the town works out. Like there's not enough kids. So the doctors also have to see the old people. So you get this like weird mix and it's like a really quiet doctor's office. But then there's a kid's play area right next to everything. So, yeah, we did that and uh, it was really quick. It was, it was actually the quickest doctor's visit I think I've ever been to in Japan. Like the doctor barely even said anything. She just kind of like took his clothes off, moved his hips around, said, oh, okay, looks good. And then we, we basically just left. <laughs> I can't remember a specific hip check that we had. Maybe some doctor has um, 
surreptitiously checked his hips and I just didn't notice it. But uh, it was it. This was officially the hip check. This was officially the hip check. I think you have like a, a window to do it. So I think if you're going to a normal place, they'll group this with other checkups that they do. Mm-hmm. But we just went because our hospital that we normally do checkups is in the other city to get this one paid for for free. We had to go to our own city. Mm. Yeah, Japan organizes a lot of things at the city level, I've noticed. And yeah, uh, because we just this month have moved from one city to the next city though it was only a couple of kilometers away, we kind of crossed the city line and we had to enroll our kid in like all the new systems and all the new types of checkups. Mm. So um, yeah, everything's changed. That hip check is interesting to me. Uh, I have next to me my copy of What to Expect the First Year. And uh, I thought I would look into this on the Western side of things. Uh, I found Mm. on page 524 here, this is the completely revised and updated third edition by Heidi Murkoff, uh, it does say that uh, in the section called what you can expect at checkups, one of the things mm. listed, uh, it says from the six to eight week check, uh, it says a check of baby's hips to make sure there's no dislocation. The doctor will rotate your little one's legs. Uh, it's among a bullet pointed list of like eight different things. So maybe it's lumped into a, a different appointment. Maybe that happened with our kid and I just didn't notice that that was being checked for. They give a range here, but it's right around the three-month checkpoint. Everything I read about on the Western side of things said it's like even as early as four weeks they do that check for, I think it's called hip dysplasia. Hmm. But yeah, no issues. Good hips. Just really fast and weird and a lot of old people. That's the thing about, um, I don't know how big a town Oyabe is where you live in Toyama. It's not very big. Yeah, <laughs> I was reading about this uh, maybe a year or so ago that in Japan, like the rural areas are emptying faster mm. than the city, like cities, main the biggest cities maintain their population generally, but mm-hmm. uh, Japan's overall population is falling pretty rapidly. So that means that rural areas are emptying out at like twice the rate and then cities right. are maintaining. So they said that something that happens is eventually, say you live in a small town in Japan of like a few thousand people, then eventually like the last person who could cut hair has either (laughs) gone into a nursing home, moved back in with their kids in another town or they've passed away or something. And Mm. so you hit this, like, it's not that the town just shrinks down on kind of a linear scale. It's like eventually you get to this critical minimum number of people and you start losing like the butcher shop and then you lose the salon or the barber's. And then you're you're needing to drive like 45 minutes to get your basic necessities taken care of. And then the town just sort of dissipates because nobody wants to live in this kind of like half ghost town. But uh, it's kind of crazy. You you can see that in some places, like the tail end of it, when you go into a shop and everyone in there 70 or over, Mm -hmm. then, you know, like, ooh, this one's on its way out eventually, I guess, when when these people retire or it's Japan. So, you know, could have another 25 years in it, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say we'll, we'll be retired by the time those people pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the town I live in does a pretty good job of trying to attract like young families. They mm-hmm. do a lot of incentives and uh, they give a lot of city subsidies for people who move and have kids in this area. So I know they're yeah. trying to bring in more, of a younger crowd. And they're, they're even like building new, like they built a new library with a giant kids section and all that stuff. So I think they do what they can, but it's still, 
the Inaka and shrinking. But that's also the appeal of it. Mm-hmm. At least for me, like we don't want to live in a city that's super crowded and has traffic all the time. We want to live in this kind of place that's kind of open and not very high density. We live in baby and young family boomtown here. It's a place called mm. Nonoichi. And I don't know how often this is the case, but allegedly Nonoichi has shown up on some national rankings as like the best place to raise a family in the whole country. And, you know, those lists always come out, several different lists every year, but Nonoichi pops up on those lists sometimes. So uh, that's what people here talk about all the time. Um, It was weird. That wasn't part of our reasoning for buying the house. It was more just about the house itself. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then we fell right into that sort of like, oh, couple with a new baby moves to Nonoichi, um, that sort (laughs) of like, you know, group of of people who do that. I think people think that that's what we're doing when we tell them that we're moving. But it has, it's been nice. It's, uh, it's got a lot of services here. But the hip check, I, maybe we've missed it. I don't know. The, the Nonoichi hip check, which I'm sure is one of the premier Japanese hip checks. Any updates from you guys? Yeah, we had another round of Yobo Seishu, which is mm. uh, vaccinations. I mm. think Nico got a triple shot this time. It was an arm, arm, mm. and a leg. I was not there for this one. My wife took him solo. Uh, hmm. I took him solo to the one previous, so we're trading off vaccination oh, okay. duties. And he is such a boss about it. Uh, <laughs> when the needle's in his skin, he gives a shout, and then the needle comes out, and he's totally fine again. Wow, and nice. it's really assuaged all the fears that I had about taking him in for that kind of thing, because he just simply does not care within a few seconds of the needle coming hmm. out. He's just over it. I don't know if he's abnormally chunky or if he's really stoic (laughs) or if he's just blasé at this point. I don't know what his deal is, but he's so cool about it that that really takes like an emotional load off me as a parent. Mm. How is dealing with the administrative part of that as going solo? I had been there a few times before, so they knew the baby. Um, It's also a very small clinic. And it's sort of like a a one room kind of a place, at least for the Mm. it's weird. It's actually half pediatrician's office, half dentist. (laughs) So you go into a waiting room and sometimes you'll sit down and they'll be like, you're actually in the dentist waiting area. Please slide over here. And it's the you know pediatrician's waiting area. Literally like a meter to the left. (laughs) It is. Yeah, Yeah, you scoot down on the bench and you're there. But it's uh once you get into the pediatrician's office, it's just sort of a one room kind of a deal. It's pretty mm-hmm. small. Uh, so they know the deal that I'm probably not going to understand many things. And I think they're uh, gotcha. smoothing things over on my behalf. Nice. And um, when you get into routine appointments, like if your child develops a few symptoms and you need to go and ask questions mm-hmm. and have medical treatment on the spur of the moment, that would be a different issue. But vaccinations right. after a couple of go arounds, it's just like you're, you know, checking the boxes and you got to get through whatever 12 or 16 different shots or something. So yeah. if you just plop down in the middle of that schedule, it's not too big of a deal. I will say that I do harbor reservations about it in terms of they'll tell me something at a certain point and I'll think that I understand it <laughs> or I'll half understand it and then just have to say, okay. 
And they're probably <laughs> telling me something vital about like, you know, not washing it or I should be washing the injection site or leave the bandage on or take it off or be sure not to mistakenly forget to not take the bandage on or, you know, like some kind of right. complex uh, triple negative Japanese <laughs> sentence that I'm just not catching. But uh, at the end of the day, I guess 90% is not bad and we just kind of roll with the punches. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's worked out. I also saw the pediatrician in the post office slash bank when I was trying to set up his bank account, which failed. Everything in Japan has a slash. Yeah, there's always a slash. It's never just a slash thing. pediatrician. Yeah. <laughs> My uh, proctologist is also a clown. I don't know. I was, I was trying to. I was trying to make a connection. Couldn't do it. Uh, did not stick the landing. Uh, so I was at the post office bank uh, and I saw, for dad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I saw my, uh, pediatrician there and then she recognized the, the baby or me or both of us and came over and chatted while she was waiting on something. Mm. And then that drew a gaggle of elderly women, uh, the pediatrician being a woman as well. And then I think it opened the floodgates of like, Hey, it's like ladies corner talking about this little baby. It was nice mm. to smooth things over. And, um, something that's rare in Japan for us, I think is to have a sense of community ever because mm. you're just isolated and can't talk to anyone. And then, uh, it is nice to see somebody and in public and muddle through a conversation. And then it turned into a little gathering of even more people. So that was kind of pleasant. I have noticed that just being out and about with, Coda makes people more at ease, I think, in my presence. Mm -hmm. Like once they see me alone, I think there's more of this, okay, let's just, that guy's going to do his own thing. We'll leave him alone. But if they see mm -hmm. me with the baby, then they're like, they kind of come up to me a little and like, oh, how old and that kind of stuff. So there does allow for more interaction. It's nice that there are some repetitive questions that come up that are relatively easy like mm -hmm. age and um, is this child mixed and that sort of thing. <laughs> and after you fielded it about five times, then you kind of know what to expect. Uh, right. Here's a little Japanese cheat code for everybody who's not good at Japanese. You can just answer the question that you think was asked and everybody will go along with you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> If you don't quite understand what they said, but then you just give them some baby information, they'll say, oh, okay, okay. And uh, in if you do that in your native language, it's a massive power play, right? Just disregarding the question and just saying whatever you wanted to say. So um, it, it probably doesn't work between like a first and second language because it just proves that you're an idiot. But um, th there's some little precedent for it in just saying what's on your mind. Mm. Another little uh, Japanese like cheat code that I use is if I can't ask for something clearly, what I can fall back on is telling the story of how I got there. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like uh, if I need something at a shop and I can't quite explain the circumstances for why I need it, I tell the person the story of like, uh, OK, so mm -hmm. we moved into a new house. That's easy to say. Uh, the new house has a new type of stovetop. Right. And then that person will probably fill in the blanks. But what I couldn't say was the complex sentence of 
the pans that we have no longer function because they were designed for one type of stovetop and then we have a different type of stovetop. But I can do a string of simple sentences and then the other mm. person fills in the blanks and then gives me those pots and pans. So anyway, that's gotten me through a lot of uh, awkward yeah. Japanese situations is just relying on my interlocutor to fill in the blanks and uh, get me where I need to be. Yeah, I use that a lot as well. I've also become really reliant on the Google Translate conversation tool. Oh, I don't even know about this. Oh, man, it's great. You can literally just, you push the conversation button on the app and mm-hmm. then just point it out and then it'll pick up what you're saying and translate it. From what I understand, it's almost like perfect into Japanese and then vice versa. Like mm. they'll respond and you can use this. There is a that little bit of a lag, obviously, when the app is thinking, but mm-hmm. it's much better than you stumbling through like 10 minutes of, oh, did I get the right word? Oh, no, I said it wrong for 10 minutes. So That sounds very useful. Um, speaking as someone who deals with Google Translate a lot on the teacher side of it, mm. that's the students go to these days, uh, the translation that's within the Line app or Google Translate. Oh, I haven't seen the Line app. Yeah, you can like basically add line translate as a friend and then you type in whatever you want to say and then it messages you back with the target language. So, hmm. uh, it, but it's it looks like a little chat window just back and forth. I think Google Translate's got more features. It's a bit better, but it's alarmingly accurate and gets better every year. And it's something that in the classroom you have to discourage the kids from using it because it's kind of like... Um, you're teaching, imagine you're teaching a woodworking class and mm-hmm. then the kid brings in a 3D printer and they're like, yeah, I can, <laughs> I can etch all this stuff. And like, well, we're working on the craft of can you manipulate the tools with your hands? That's what we want you to be able to do. So in language, it's like if you need to learn it, you have to do it yourself and suffer through it. Right. That's the point of any school is suffering through it to gain some skill. You know, at this point, I'm ready for just the universal translator on my comm badge. I'll just like, yeah, you know, I've given up. <laughs> just give me the easy <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> Make it look like the Star Trek comm badge exactly to entice people to actually wear it because it's cool. And um, that's the solution. I think we're headed to a technological solution for all this. I mean, it's maybe not a point where it just tips and becomes totally tech solution but it edges Mm. there every single year it just keeps getting better all the time anyway back to our updates one other thing Mm -hmm. i wanted to say was that in this week uh nico's now 20 weeks old um it was so basically in his 19th week into his 20th week his voice changed a lot like his vocalizations Hmm. changed um up to this point up till about 19 weeks in the fourth month the only sound he would make is basically adding a little oomph to his exhale. So his talking was just kind of like, uh, 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 like that. And it's right. cute and silly and it turns into a laugh or a squeamish little kind of hmm. cry or something. But now he's gotten use of his vocal range and he goes crazy high pitched on everything. And it's wow. like a totally new style of speaking for him that just suddenly took over this week. And everything's like a that kind of up and down. (laughs) So it's like achievement unlocked. He can like go into the high pitch. And now, I mean, he talked a lot before, but now it's like he's Mm. got a fun new thing to do. So it's pretty much nonstop up and down talking with this four month old boy. 
That's great. Uh, it, it was almost overnight. It was like one day we noticed him doing it, and then the next day he was doing it, and the next day and the next day. Uh, hmm. It just literally switched on. Uh, that's all nice. I've got for updates. Anything else? Uh, no. Let's head over to Segmenton. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Segmentum, Population Hi-de-o. 2. Hi-de-o. Uh We're talking summertime. We're recording this on July 1st, and it is hot and ridiculous. I mm. have never grown accustomed to Celsius, so I'll just say that uh, it's been in the 90s the last several days. That would be 32 and up. So it's been hot and sweaty and ridiculous. And it's Japan where you've got wall units and like certain rooms are hot and I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's just a hot place with, a, you know, insulation and problems like that. So I had a lot of questions about what do I do with a baby that's now in 90 degree weather? I've never had mm. a baby in 90 degree weather. So what gives, man? The first thing that I was interested in is uh, we've got a very, very sweaty boy, you know, like especially if he gets in the car seat. Mm. there's not really an AC vent that points directly on him in the car and he's facing the wrong way, of course, facing backwards. So he's got to like catch the AC that flows around the car and it's pretty much nothing you can do. He just gets sweaty and the car's hot anyway. And he's in the black, like cushiony car seat that's enveloping him. So he is just a sweaty wreck when he comes out of the car seat. Mm. And I thought he's losing a lot of fluid that way. And I've always heard, and we've read in the book before, that the only fluid that should go into a baby up until six months is milk, whether it's powdered mm-hmm. you know, formula or uh, breast milk. But I was curious about giving him some water now that he's sweating a lot. So I looked it up in the What to Expect book on page 193. This actually comes in the first month chapter. There's a section called Supplementary Water. Mm. And... It's, uh, the question is, as posed in the book, I'm wondering if I should be giving my son a bottle of water. The explanation, of course, is for the first six months or so, only milk. That's the only thing that should go into the baby. And there's actually risks of giving the kid water at an early mm-hmm. age. The main risk, I guess, is that if you give him too much water, then it sort of satiates his need to drink. And then he's not filled up with any nutrition, but he is filled up. And so Mm -hmm. if you did that routinely, the kid would be lacking in nutrition and, you know, not gaining weight potentially if it, if it became a habit. So, um, you need to just keep him on the milk and it's healthy and fine. And that's the way to go. However, it says in the final paragraph of this section, once your sweetie has started solids, offering sips of water from a cup will be fine and good practice for the days when all his drinks will come from a cup instead of your breasts or a bottle. Mm. should say your wife's breasts here. Uh, anyway, for me, judge the me. audience. <laughs> if the weather's really hot, some doctors will okay sips of water for a formula-fed baby before solids are started, but do check first. So this is our situation. The weather's really hot. And uh, sips of water is all that I'm interested in. And interestingly, we had that checkup that I talked about in last week's episode, the like mm-hmm. all four month old babies in the area go to the clinic on the same day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we discussed it with a doctor there and the doctor said it was fine to give the baby water at this point uh, at four months old. 
So I have consulted with a healthcare professional. Uh, the advice was to not overdo it and to use it as more of like a feeding practice. So you use a spoon and just give hmm. a few little spoonfuls of water to the baby. And uh, it's also nice to yeah mimic that spoon in the mouth, which is coming down the pike at six months anyway. So I actually tried this yesterday because we had a real sweaty boy on our hands. And um, I had a cup of water and I spoon fed him maybe six or seven, you know, baby spoons of water. And he was like, not interested. He was, <laughs> it would enter his mouth and he would make the most disgusted face. Like, this is the worst breast milk I've ever tasted. Get this out of here. And I would say 80 to 90% of it, he would spit out directly. I tucked a rag into or tucked like wow. a handkerchief into his collar he would spit it out directly and make like a ridiculous, like uh, offended <laughs> face. Uh, but he did get a swallow or two in and I thought that's nice, you know, broaden his yeah. horizons a little bit, give him some experience. So I have kind of fused the advice of um, don't give them water. Uh, I mean, obviously in excess, but then mm. if it's really hot, consult your healthcare provider, which we did. And I'm spoon feeding water just whenever the urge strikes me or if I think he's sweating profusely to, uh, Go back to the hot car seat. We came up with a, a working solution for that, which is they have these pads that you can buy that go in there and you can slip ice packs in them. Okay. So we've been doing that, but not with a hard ice pack, with the liquid ice packs that stay liquid. Mm -hmm. And so we'll get one of those, put it behind him. Because usually when you pick him up out of that car seat, like he's super sweaty in the back because mm -hmm. there's no ventilation. It's a black seat really uncomfortable but since we've been putting that in there he's been doing really good we've done the poor man's version of that which is to take the like those little ice packs that usually come with a cake or something that needs <laughs> yeah. to be kept cold in japan we yeah. usually drop those in the freezer and we at any given time have five or ten of those ready to go in the freezer mm -hmm. uh, and then we just wrap those in a towel and then somehow put that like, you know, mm. multiple times or multiply wrapped towel behind his neck or behind his lower back or something uh, mm. so that it's not going to contact his skin, but um, will provide a little cooling. Yeah, that's good. I would caution everybody to be careful with it because you don't want to, you know, do any like damage to the baby with something that's too cold for too long. But yeah. uh, we use it very judiciously and just in like crazy hot scenarios. We, we try to keep the car seat inside the house, especially in an air conditioned room, and then put mm. them in the air conditioned car seat that's cold sort of, and then carry that and drop it in the car is another way to yeah. make it a bit better. We do that as well. So you guys aren't taking them on any walks in the car seat around town there? Our car seat doesn't fit into the stroller. So we, oh, that's right. I mean, we have the stroller. We take him around. I mean, this last month, we've been so busy with the move that he's been, I mean, mm -hmm. all over the place at the old house, at the new house, uh, grandparents babysitting him. Uh, and we're making multiple trips back and forth every day. So he's really been in the car quite a lot and on the move. But mm -hmm. there's no routine to it because it was all such, you know, random moving chaos. We'll do usually about two walks a day around here, maybe for like a kilometer up to two kilometers at a time. Mm -hmm. just because we have to walk our dog anyway. Mm. So we figure it's a good chance to get everybody out of the house and kind of walking around. And so we use that ice pack in the, in the car seat when we do that too. And it seems to work out pretty well. It's very nice. And that's a specific product designed for that purpose, right? 
for like a baby cooling system. There's like this mesh pouch that sticks to the back and that's designed for it. But then I went on Amazon and I bought bigger ice packs to put in that because the Mm -hmm. ones that come with it are like super tiny. So Mm -hmm. I bought double size that fill up the whole space and it's a little more comfortable than just the hard frozen ones because he tended to squirm and then they would move to the side. But Mm -hmm. with the liquid ones, it kind of allows him to get a good position and not feel too uncomfortable. So a little while ago, I was curious about putting sunscreen on newborns um, just because Moe had gotten some samples that are like, I think they were like super low, like SPF, like eight or 10 for Hmm. babies. So I was checking to see whether it was safe or not for newborns to even have sunscreen on them. And it's kind of mixed. Everything I read was like, it's okay in small doses. Don't do it a lot. And then other places was like, it's fine up to like two hours. So I think it just depends on how hot it is, how much direct sunlight you're going to be in, you know, you're going to be in and whether or not you have the sunscreen available. I think the best thing to do is like keep them in, in shaded areas covered in loose clothing and that kind of thing. But the, the sunscreen is a, is a viable option in low doses. Mm -hmm. I did look on what to expect and they say, apply sunscreen in small amounts up to from 30 to 50 SPF. So did you resolve like those samples that were so low? Do you say like eight to 10 or something? And then the book says like 30 to 50. The way that they do the SPF here seems kind of confusing. It was like SPF plus plus six or eight Mm. or something like that, which I don't quite understand. But the plus plus basically seemed like it made it SPF 30 level. So I don't know Mm. (laughs) is my answer. (laughs) We I don't really do it. We don't use a lot of sunscreen on him. Our Mm. go to is we have a couple um, Arism type blankets that Mm -hmm. if we're out and about and he needs to be covered we'll just drape that because that has a natural uv barrier on it Mm -hmm. and so we don't have to worry too much and we just try to keep him out of direct sunlight especially like during like you know from like the 10 to 2 p.m window where it's the hottest i have a suspicion about all this and i'm obviously not a medical professional i'm not professional at all uh (laughs) but you know like With detergents, when the baby's born, you buy the baby detergent. And then Mm. the idea is basically it's a much gentler detergent. And then if they have an allergy or something to a stronger detergent, you don't want to just throw a whole set of clothing on them with something that they're allergic Mm. to, you know. So you go with the gentle one. But then the baby encounters your clothing little by little that's been washed in that other detergent. And if there's no bad result, then you can just switch right over to the main detergent. So Mm. you usually go through just one bottle of special baby detergent. And when that's gone in like a month or however long, then you're just, okay, put the baby stuff in with the rest of the family's laundry and use the regular detergent. I feel like the sunscreen thing is probably a similar thing. It's just like you want to be cautious and use like light amounts of everything in the beginning and you want to use the uh, baby friendly version of everything or a kid's version and then Mm. just to test to see if it's going to have any adverse effect on the kid you don't want to go full bore you know like right out of the gate by the way Mm. the phrases whole hog and full bore that bore isn't like wild boar is it i assume so really no 
Okay. <laughs> I thought full bore, like bore, like when you cut into something, like you've maximized the cut full bore. But isn't that crazy? Whole hog, full bore. <laughs> There's the whole pork what connection. Is hog, then? <laughs> We're all in the pocket of big pork, my friend. I've said this for years. <laughs> Taking over the language. Uh, okay. Yeah, you don't want to go like full on with anything that you're going to be applying to the mm. baby. So I bet the sunscreen thing is similar. This is just my wild speculation, though. And then maybe you could ramp it up over time if there's no adverse reaction. It's not SPF plus plus. It's SPF PA plus plus plus. There's three pluses. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, it's a it's a Japanese grading system that was developed. So. We're not, that's why we're not used to it. I've done some internet research here. Okay. That uh, fully backs up my opinion, which is how internet research works. So this is from Perfect. Business Wire, and uh, they've interviewed someone named Dr. Mullins. Uh, it says, baby's sensitive skin is more susceptible to irritation from harsh elements, particularly during the summer. Because environmental triggers such as increased humidity and exposure to air conditioners can trigger flare-ups on baby's skin, parents need to be extra cautious throughout the warmer months. Um, so this is in regard to using, uh, mm. you know, basically a gentler uh, sunscreen because baby's skin is delicate to begin with, and now it's you know being like abused by the sun and the air conditioners changing the moisture content in the house mm. and all this. So uh, you've got a likelihood of baby skin going a bit wild and then you're slathering on another variable. So I think that's the long and short of it anyway. Basically mm. just uh, take baby steps, <laughs> if you will. Nice. So what we've chosen to do is to use kids SPF 50 that expired three years ago. And we figure that this is our best course of action. <laughs> so we, we really max it out and we make sure that it's uh, discolored. We just put them to the test, basically. Uh, we have yeah. some old, yeah, we have uh, a couple of bottles of sunscreen knocking around. And then in a pinch, we decided to use it. And luckily, mm. there were no reactions or anything. So we mm. got away with that one. I generally don't use it. On yourself? Yeah. And I don't, I don't really like it on him either. I'd rather just, you know, put him in like loose clothing or something. Mm. We've put it on him a couple times before and it seems fine, but I, we still cover him. So it seems mm -hmm. pointless to me a little bit. I guess it's like double protection at that point because sun rays still get through some clothing. And mm -hmm. then you have the, the sunscreen on, which helps prevent the rest of it. So mm -hmm. it's probably doing something. We've had a few instances, especially in the move. The move has been a uh, monkey wrench in the daily routine. But mm. one thing we had to do in both locations was to walk around and like say goodbye to all the old neighbors and then walk around and introduce ourselves to all the new neighbors. So oh, right. you're you know carrying a baby through the streets like all hours of the day. And um, then, I mean, mm. sun's just going to hit him. So, yeah, we had to, we've kind of defaulted to the sunscreen makes sense especially if you gotta like introduce him and show him around one more thing i wanted to talk about in terms of summertime baby care it's i actually don't have much information on this but in japan there's a bit of an air conditioning panic right now it was a few weeks ago a month or two ago maybe uh, a lot of kids in osaka went to the hospital for a kind of heat exhaustion it was a japanese sports day or a field day or something uh so oh, a lot of kids 
yeah, doing their uh, athletics out on the dry dirt field that yeah. <laughs> is sort of outside of every Japanese school. And uh, it was just, I, I don't know if it was all of them were in a, a bad situation or if a few of them were and they took everybody in as a precaution, but it was like dozens and dozens of kids from the same sports day all got taken to the hospital for heat exhaustion. Wow. So there's a bit of a weird, uh, somewhat of a counterintuitive thing where people are afraid now that it's because maybe kids are too used to air conditioning as Japan year by year does improve insulation and air conditioning, then kids stay in it all the time. And then they're less adept at handling the sudden like exposure to the heat. And Hmm. I personally don't have any data on this or any research, but that's kind of what I've heard from a couple of people in Japan that um, now they're saying uh, when I say the word, they, I mean, just the handful of people that I've talked to about this, that they want to get their kids a little bit less comfortable in terms of, you know, not keeping the rooms too cool so that their body, Mm. you know, gets basically some experience sweating and dealing with the heat, you know, on its own, Uh, which seems like there's something to that, you know, keep it as close to natural as you can. And one of the natural things is dealing with heat yourself. Yeah. There's definitely something to becoming acclimated to whatever weather you're in or whatever, you know, area you're in. And that's part of it. Like seasonally, we do that a lot here. We'll keep the AC off pretty much all day until like late afternoon, early evening. And then we'll turn it on to just make it comfortable for night and sleeping. Mm, Yeah, that's probably a good way to go. It's kind of like there. there's a lot of, uh, I mean, it's obviously hot outside. And then you do have this place that you can just go back to and be Mm. safe which is your nice cool living room with the ac on but you might be doing something a bit counterproductive by like keeping the kid too sheltered Um, right and the other angle on this which i had never heard before but uh this last weekend i was listening to uh the economist podcast which i highly recommend um all my friends are bored of me talking about the economist podcast but it's like my only news source and i highly highly recommend it it's very boring and that's how you know it's good news so they were talking about um how in asia in particular myopia or nearsightedness is like skyrocketing in recent years and uh, i just popped over to the economist website and they have a graph um about myopia estimated prevalence at age 20 right so these are you know kids who have just come out of their schooling basically or in the midst of college or something and they've got a graph uh starting with data from 1938 all the way up until the present day and they've graphed out several um southeastern asian countries so if you look at the countries listed here are hong kong singapore south korea and taiwan but china and japan fall into the same basic trend so hong kong singapore south korea and taiwan the rates of myopia from say 1938 to about 1960 all those countries were under 40 percent and then the the rates of myopia from 1990 to present, all of those countries are above 80%. Hmm. And Taiwan is in like the high 90s. Like, I mean, people at 20 years old who basically need glasses, it's like in that high 90% range. Damn. 
So uh, you're talking about in a couple of generations time, you went from under 40% of the people had myopia or nearsightedness to over 80 in all of those countries. People are uh, worried about this now and looking into like the causes. And uh, here's like the headline and the byline of an economist article about this. The headline says, short-sightedness has become an epidemic. And then the byline says, to fight it, schools should send their students outside. And then, you know, the article fleshes that out for a thousand words. But this was Mm. just published in June of 2022, just last month. So I listened to the, I don't know, 30, 40 minute podcast breakdown of this. And they said that essentially, like we're talking about keeping things closer to nature, we just developed as human beings for our eyesight to uh, be exposed to this like quite bright sunlight. And Mm. there's a trend between educational pressure that is directly proportional to uh, nearsightedness. So as you have like more standardized testing and more hours of school where you're in like more dimly lit environments and, you know, focused on books and computers right in front of your face, uh, your eyes are adjusting to that. And then this is causing like a bit of a misshapenness in the eye itself and its development. Mm. It becomes not the ideal shape of the eye. It's a bit elongated the cornea gets a bit of a different curve to it and you become nearsighted literally mm. at like 80 or 90% of the population of young people in Southeastern Asia. And Southeastern Asia is sort of the hotbed for this because that's where like rote memorization as an educational method is right. really, really popular. So um, you do have to just sit with a book in front of your face all the time. So mm. uh, the Economist episode talked about how, I think it was last year, Xi Jinping in China declared... I think they termed it a war on myopia and (laughs) they started to change educational policy in China that was saying like, okay, whatever the amount of time kids need to spend outside is, we need to bump that up. It's got to be closer to like two hours a day or something. So they're trying to, you know, push the kids out. I know Hmm. for uh, what at the time was reported as unrelated reasons, uh, China just closed down almost all of its cram schools. You know, those like after school schools that kids go to all the time. Right. Um, China just, yeah, hate those for sure. But China just sweepingly closed down almost all of them. I never thought I'd agree with China on something. Yeah, (laughs) it's amazing, man. (laughs) But and they're the only well, they're one of the only countries that has the power to do that. Like, good luck shutting down an entire sector of business in a democracy. So um, they just shut them all down and said, uh, kids, go home and be with your families and uh, parents don't worry about the expense and the highly competitive atmosphere of sending your kids to all these cram schools. That's gone now. That's done. But I hmm. now reading about this and Xi Jinping being you know himself worried about the high rates of nearsightedness among the country's youth, it kind of makes sense like, yeah, you're cutting out a few hours of extra study per day and that contributes as well to the eyesight health of those kids. So anyway, Taiwan was worried about this because uh, they noticed in as early as the 90s that almost everyone was nearsighted and they thought if a war breaks out with China, funnily enough, that they would be at a disadvantage if, you know, you've got to worry about glasses and contact lenses for all of your soldiers all the time. That puts you a little bit on the back foot in one way. And is, is there a way to naturally take care of it? If there is, then that would be good. And the conclusion that Uh, All of these governments have come to, uh, you know, research in Singapore, in China, in Australia, they all say, send the kids outside, get them exposed to bright sunlight, Mm. and that's going to take care of it, if you can strike that balance a bit better. 
that is to say all the stuff that we've talked about, all the worries we've had about like sunscreen and mm. uh, the air conditioning and all this, it's like sort of a necessary evil because you have to get your kid outside. You've got to right. take him out there for so many health benefits. Uh, one of them is his eyesight, which is like, as the economist calls it, like epidemic levels these days. So anyway, I thought it was a good thing to talk about the um, summertime baby care because the solution, it turns out, is not to keep the baby inside and cozy all the time right. uh, for what may be like the, you know, makes them susceptible to uh, heat exhaustion, perhaps. I don't have the data on that, but definitely for the eyesight reasons. And then just all the benefits of being outside anyway. We definitely agree with that. We get outside at least two, three times a day. Mm -hmm. Even get in the car and go somewhere at least once a day. That's very nice. Uh, that's all I've got for segments. Anything else? Or are you ready to go over to my question for you, Island? <laughs> Is. It doesn't sound the same, but it works on paper. My question for you is... Island. Is, is Peninsula? <laughs> All right. right oh, if it's, if it's multiple questions, my questions for you are Capelago. <laughs> All right. What do you got? <laughs> this kind of has to do with our talk about going outside with him alone and kind mm -hmm. of interacting with people in Japan with our kids. So we've had this talk about like talking to our kids in English and trying to keep that the primary thing. But when you're out in public and then you have Japanese people coming to you and talking to him even in Japanese, what language do you talk to Nico in when you're out and about in those situations? In those situations, I force myself into Japanese for the sake of the other adult who's understanding this communication. Oh, you know what I mean? Because um, if I start not really baby talking, but, you know, just the sort of normal conversation that you have with your baby, mm. if I do that in English, I feel like it's really shutting out the Japanese person who's there. And they're like, mm. oh, am I not included in this anymore? And it must feel awkward or something. So gotcha. not only just in public with sort of strangers or people in the neighborhood or something, but also with the in-laws, I feel very strange just defaulting to English with the baby. Say it's my wife and I and the baby and the uh, mm. mother-in-law and father-in-law, then I would lean a bit more into Japanese just to try and make everyone included in that, you know, baby time event. That's very nice of you. Yeah, it's, it's awkward. And uh, I know that eventually I'll sound like an idiot to the baby. For now, he doesn't care. But, you know, within a few years, he'll be correcting my verb conjugation or something. But uh, for now, I, I try to go down that road. I do not. I'm oh, yeah. all English all the time. I find myself mm. sometimes there's some words that I just naturally use more in Japanese. Mm -hmm. Like if it's like good night or something, I'll default to like, oh, yes, me or mm -hmm. Ohio if, you, if they're waking up and I have to like force myself to go back to say like oh good morning oh good night mm -hmm. but if I'm out in public even if somebody's talking in Japanese like I will make a point to speak when I'm speaking to Coda I will speak only in English yeah that abides by the rules that we've talked about in the past and mm -hmm. what we discussed with Brian Waters in particular of uh, mm -hmm. you know really give your kid the sense that 
when he's talking to you, it's English time and he's in the English right. zone. Uh, so that's probably the good way to go. I just feel so awkward with the general societal pressure of like, okay, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You're excluded because I'm going to switch into English mode with this baby. It's actually interesting. Like I've noticed times that I've done that. If there's a Japanese person there talking in Japanese, they'll use the English with him. Oh, really? Yeah. So I forget where I was. I was out somewhere and he was in the stroller and he just woke up. Somebody came over and was talking to me and him. And they started saying, oh, hi oh," And I was like, oh, good morning, little boy. Good morning. And then mm. they switched. They were like, oh, good morning. And so mm. I think it wasn't more like they felt alienated. They were just like, oh, okay, let's, I'll try, I'll practice as well. It's interesting. Uh, in linguistics, there's something called phatic language, or some people pronounce it phatic language, like the phatic of emphatic. Um, I mm. usually say phatic language, but uh, it's language that has no actual uh, like concrete definition or concrete That's meaning. That's Japanese to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, like the word hello, like mm-hmm. define the word hello. Right. It's weird, right? You would have to say hello is something you say when, but it doesn't mean anything. It's like if you said mm. define the word apple, you could point to an apple and describe it physically and chemically and that sort of thing. But when you say like, what's the word hello mean? It's just, it's the definition starts something you say when, and like to use a word as something you say, that's kind of like a tautology, you know, it's like kind of coming back on itself. So phatic language, there's a lot of uh, phatic language that doesn't actually serve any purpose other than to just like transmit social cues. Like when somebody sneezes and you say, bless you, it's like Mm. you just saying like, I acknowledge your sneeze. You know, like that's the whole thing. And it's just a custom that happens. So I've noticed that phatic language uh, is so ingrained for like social niceties, but then it's often different between languages. Like there is no bless you in Japanese. It's just right. brutal silence after your sneeze. Nobody cares. I love uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> then in English, you have a bless you. So I've noticed that like when Nico sneezes, my wife and I say bless you. And then my wife's parents picked up on bless you. And there's obviously no Japanese for it. Mm-hmm. So they just say bless you in English, which is a totally different thing that they never did before in their lives. And now they've adapted it. And mm. it's only the English phrase that they use. Can I say right now that I I specifically do not use that term? Oh, yeah. Somebody sneezes. And I will most and I will oftentimes not say anything. Uh-huh. And it gets real awkward with anybody else from a, from a Western country. Cause yeah. it's like an expectation and I'm just dead silent. And yeah, they're just like, man. I'm just like, dude, you sneeze. You should say, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I also don't say it because I read somewhere that it came from the church, like a couple centuries ago, they used to think people yeah. were possessed when they yeah. sneeze because obviously that's what happens. And then, yeah. so they would say, bless you to try yeah. to like get the demons out of you or something. And I was like, well, this is the stupidest thing we've ever done in society. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty ridiculous. I am likewise averse to that sort of like, you know, religious, like when it's layered into something like that. Mm. Uh, but if you go too far with that, like um, Thursday comes from Thor and I don't believe in Thor, but I'm still going to say Thursday, you know, like that sort of stuff. That was a great so. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel brought me back around on Thursday, to be honest. Uh, and then Friday is from Frigg. 
and I have never believed in freeg, but I still say Friday. So I'm, you know, I'm fine with that stuff. And then bless you to me is in that category of just gotcha. like the societal function to mm. make it not awkward has overtaken any of its history. So I, I go for it. But mm. there are many examples of phatic language, obviously, in Japanese, like before a meal, you say itadakimasu, mm. and then oftentimes Japanese people will say, like, what's the English for that? And there is no English for that. It's like, well, you could dive into a prayer, or you could say, <laughs> let's eat. But it, let's eat is not really thankful in, in the way that itadakimasu is meant to convey some sort of thanks, I mm. guess. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's just not the connection. So before a meal, I'll say the Japanese, you know, itadakimasu, or leaving the house, entering the house, there's like the tadaima, okaidi, itadakimasu, terashai, that sort of stuff. That's all Japanese for coming and going. And they're set phrases that you have to do, but it's not really about communicating anything important. It's just about the social nicety of that's what you say when, which is right. that like phatic category. Those also go back to that, like you brought this up before that, like leave it to beaver kind mm -hmm. of idea that's still in Japan where it's like, mm -hmm. I enter the house as the working person or wherever. And I say, honey, I'm home. Mm -hmm. And I say, welcome home. And that's mm -hmm. kind of that, you know, tadaima, that kind of idea. So I yeah. actually don't say those either. I think it uh, probably in general, I feel like it rubs Japanese people the wrong way exactly in the same way that if you sneeze and people don't say bless you you're just like it's like you know trying to slap somebody five and they leave you hanging <laughs> you know it's the equivalent <laughs> you're just like oh man this is so awkward uh not that slapping five was gonna make anybody's day like <laughs> that much better or worse but you just have to do it when the hand's up there you have to do it that's true you can't so, leave anybody hanging can't leave somebody hanging. Anyhow, I tend to go for Japanese to make people not feel awkward, and especially in instances where it's just mm. like a societal thing that must be said, uh, then mm. I'll feel like, well, I'm using the Japanese now to fulfill my obligation to society, which makes me feel somehow even more Japanese that I'm prioritizing obligation to society like that. Yeah, I was going to say, good job. Yeah, thank you. They'll be taking away my U.S. citizenship shortly. But they still want their taxes. Yeah, still charge me taxes. <laughs> well, we can head over to Japanese Berg. Okay. We're there now. Hello. How about that? Uh, this relates back to summertime stuff. This is sweaty baby talk. Uh, we've got mm. sweaty babies on our hands, and the word for sweat is ase. It's very simple. And hmm. this is one of those where the word sweat in English, you say sweaty so often as an adjective, but then there's not like a great adjective to just throw out there that's simple and quick, like the word sweaty. So sweat itself hmm. is ase, and then uh, to sweat is ase o kaku. So the kaku is the verb um, that hmm. activates sweat. So ase o kaku. And uh, you could say a sweaty person is an ase kaki. So there's an ase and then a small suit. So a little pause. Mm. Like ase kaki uh, is a sweaty person. So there are ways to go about it. But ase is the core of all that sweat. So use it. You'll have to. It's July. Yeah. That can launch us into dad jokes. All right. Jokington? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh. 
dad jokes upon Avon. <laughs> I don't know. All right, I got two. They're not questions today. They're just oh, okay. kind of straight at you jokes. One-liners. What do you got? I got two, and the theme is countries. Oh, I guess my theme is food. Okay, cool. Well, um, I I made up one of them a couple of days ago. Oh, okay. Well, then you got to lead. I've been to every country in Europe except Germany. And the reason is I'm a germaphobe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's even a joke. Uh, is that, all right, is what that you a got? racist joke then? <laughs> it's right on the edge. <laughs> right on the edge. All right. Well, I guess my joke is also a little bigoted. <clears throat> a cheeseburger walks into a bar. The bartender says, sorry, we don't serve food here. <laughs> oh, man. Anti-burger <laughs> bias. Yikes. Uh, all right. My next country joke. Um, did you know the first French fries weren't cooked in France? Yeah, they were actually cooked in Greece. hi Oh. <laughs> I got fired from a canned juice company once. Apparently, I couldn't concentrate. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> yep. That hey, does everything it needs to do. It does. Bad joke. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at jpopspodcast or by email at info at the jpops.com. Talk to you next time. Pizza time.